Pop quiz. Do you know how much 1.5 trillion is? Apparently, if you deal out dollar bills at the rate of one every second, it will take 48,000 years to get to 1.5 trillion. So what, Tracy? What's with the math lesson? Well, $1.5 trillion is the total amount of student debt in America. And if you have kids or stepkids who might fancy a college education one day, you're about to become part of that same financial sinkhole. You know, I'm just jerking your chain. I invited a guest on the show today who says there's a code to do a college for free, and she's cracked it. Hi there, I'm Tracy, and this is the Essential Stepmom Podcast, your source of unconventional advice and inspiration for the womanly art of raising someone else's kids. Is it really an art? You bet, nobody pops out of the womb with an instinct for step parenting. It's something you practice and get better at, like anything else. And if you found this podcast, it means you're smart enough to look for someone who's been practicing the moves for a long time to stand in your corner and coach you through it. I'll share my wins, my missteps, and my analysis of what worked for my family over the last 14 years and why it could work for you too. If you like this stuff, don't forget to subscribe and you can get more of me at EssentialStepMom.com. Okay. Let me tell you something about myself that my friends and family know, but that I don't generally broadcast to the public. I am a total cheapskate. I'm the cheapest person I know, possibly next to my husband, which is one of the things I find so sexy about him. This is not something new to me. I've been buying my clothes at the Goodwill since I was a teenager. My parents were probably horrified. It doesn't come from them at all. In fact, when I turned 21, way back more years than I dared a number at this point, they offered me an incredibly generous birthday present, a whole day shopping spree with no limits. Can you imagine? And did I make a beeline for the Louboutin shoe boutique or the coach handbag store? I did not. I did what made me happiest. We went from one shopping mall to the next. I bought bags and bags of clothes, shoes, swimsuits, jewelry, coats, and I managed to drop just over $200 total for the whole day. It was a joke my parents told to their friends, any of whose daughters would have spent that much in the first 10 minutes. Okay, it's not true that I'm the very cheapest person I know. Back when I was in college, I had a roommate who was cheaper than me. She was the kind of person who was still wearing the clothes she had worn to middle school. She would close out every semester by cooking every last scrap of food in her kitchen cupboards, down to the last bean and grain of rice, the last squirt of ketchup. She used to make soup out of the stuff the rest of us were throwing away, and more power to her. I wasn't that extreme, but I did get through college on my own with a part-time job, back in the day when that was an actual possibility. It just wasn't that hard to live like a student and come out the other end with a clean credit score. So, now that you know my secret vice, which has included legit dumpster diving for food, you might know why I'm so excited to bring you today's guest. She's all about not saving just pennies, but trillions of pennies. 
and getting your kids through college without debt. Maybe you're thinking, this episode isn't for me. My stepkids are only 10 and 12 years old. Or, my child is only 7. It's way too early to start thinking about this. Who knows what's going to happen that far down the road. As a step-parent, it's extra hard to visualize your future because there are so many unknowns in your world. They just keep coming at you like you're standing in front of a demon tennis ball launcher. One thing you can count on for certain is that all kids, bio or step, are going to have to make an important decision as they get near the end of their high school experience. Go to college, learn a trade, take a gap year, or get a job. And believe it or not, they're getting ready to make that decision right now, whether they're 7 or 10 or 19. Their job is to start kicking all the doors open, to pave the way for anything to happen. And if it's going to be college, they have someone special in their corner. Meet Denise Thomas, the woman who hit financial rock bottom and dug her way out by mowing lawns and learning that there were college scholarships galore just waiting for her kids to apply for. Now she's put all her secrets into a course called Cracking the Code to Debt-Free College to help other parents skip to the head of the class with the benefit of her tips. It takes work and organization, but hey, it could be your ticket to helping put your stepkids through college without risking bankruptcy yourself. Here she is now. Hi, Denise. Hey, Tracy. Good to be here. Thank you so much for doing this. Saving money is something particularly close to my heart. It's a big part of who I am. And finding, finding interesting hacks, like the one that you're so specialized in, uh, is, is something that I think, well, first of all, anybody can do it and they should. And, and I think that it's, it could make the difference between somebody getting to college and not, right? Knowing how to do this stuff. So, Absolutely. Because it's more than just, uh, can they go to college? Which, by the way, if, if a student wants to go to college, if your teenager wants to go to college, there is a college out there for them. There are over 4,000, believe it or not, four-year colleges and universities in the U.S. Huh. Wow. So there is a school for you, I promise. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just something that I think we're not, well, there's a, there's a couple of sides to that story. We've been telling people for the last 30 years that you have to go to college in order to be successful in life. Well, that alone is a lie. Right. You know, Agreed. for a lot of reasons, really, you know, seriously. Uh, but let's just face it, a mechanic and a mechanical engineer have the same potential income possibilities. They can both be making well over $100,000 a year. Yeah, yeah, for sure. This depends on, you know, to me, it's like, you know, train up a child in the way he should go. Yes, I know I'm misquoting scripture, but it is applicable in this case. Absolutely. You know, what is it that your child is good at? You know, keep your eyes open as a parent throughout your, your child's middle school and high school years and, you know, try to figure out what is it that's going to float their boat. Yeah. Yeah. No, no there's, it's not, uh, it's hard to overstate the importance of an adult taking an interest and putting a kid in front of things that, that they'll, both enjoy and that they're obviously good at and providing opportunities and showing interest and support 
that that's really important. I think people need to re- remember that the trades, oh, for crying out loud, it's recession proof. Think yeah. about it. Everyone will always need a mechanic. Why? Because everyone has a car. You will always need a plumber because, well, let's face it, we have plumbing. You know, it's, you know, how many women are going to forego that haircut if the salon isn't closed, right? Mm -hmm. There are so many opportunities. And look, I know I'm cutting my own throat here because my, you know, my shtick, so to speak, is helping parents finance their kids' college on other people's money. But the truth is the, the trades are suffering, because for the last 30 years, we've been telling people that you have to go to college to be successful in life. Yeah. And it's just not something that is a requirement. It just really isn't. Yeah, I totally agree with you, really. Um, and we've tried to make it clear to all our kids, mine and my husband's, that there was nobody pressing them to go uh, you know, for a university degree or college degree. Here in Canada... Um, here in Canada, college means community college where you would learn a trade, actually. So uh, I'm, I'm, I have a different, there's a different meaning to the word college in Canada, yes. um, but we're talking about the same thing. So I, I totally agree with you. So get on with it. Tell us some secrets. <laughs> <laughs> For my listeners, most of them are in a kind of a strange situation. Some of them certainly have their own children who are going to be thinking about going to college someday. But most of my listeners are in a relationship with a, you know, their partner has kids who have to go to college and their partner is on the hook to pay for a certain percentage of the college, usually something like half. Uh, The partner is already paying um, a a percentage of their take-home income in child support. So there's not a lot of wiggle room to make extra investments. And there is a, like a fearful burden coming down the road of having to pay for college for one or more kids. And so the idea of looking for ways to finance that outside of their own bank account could be really appealing. Well, and I look at it this way. Sure. Maybe half of the expense is covered. Maybe it actually is covered. Not that someone has the responsibility, but they actually have the money put aside and it's going to actually work out that they have the money to do that. Or perhaps a portion of that will be their responsibility to co-sign for that half, Mm -hmm. so to speak. Mm -hmm. But here are some things to think about. First of all, when a parent co-signs for their child's student loans, the parent is on the hook 100% for that loan, just as the child is on the hook 100% for that loan. It is your loan, like it or not. If or when your child defaults on the loan, is late getting a payment out, because let's face it, I don't care how responsible your kids are. They're kids, even at age 20, 22, 25, they're still kids. They're going to make these financial mistakes That mistake ends up on your credit report as well because it is your loan. You co-signed for it. Mm -hmm. It also, having that loan on your credit report, also impedes the parent's buying power. So if the parent wants to, let's say, purchase a second home or do an add-on in their home or take a really expensive, really nice trip abroad somewhere, 
you know, and they want to put this, they want to get credit for it or, you know, what have you, or get a loan out for something. This is going to have an impact. Just have to be aware of that. And even if it doesn't necessarily impact the fact that you can get the loan, it still impacts your credit score. You have more debt. That's just the bottom line. Now, although half may be paid for, maybe, maybe the money is already there, and that's wonderful if it is. You still got to come up with the bucks for the other half. Mm-hmm. And it's still a lot of money. I don't care where you go. It's still a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I believe that I have found this to be true in most countries where I've spoken. And that's the reason that they bring me on is that there are opportunities for your child to basically go to school on somebody else's money. Uh, there are companies, corporations, and um, organizations that offer scholarships to students to go to college. And those scholarships can range anywhere from the really low end, the lowest I've ever seen was $250. And the highest independent scholarship I've seen was $50,000. And now those are rare, obviously, a lot harder to get, and a lot more people are going to be applying for that big money scholarship. But there's plenty, I mean, millions of scholarships. Millions. Millions of scholarships, not just dollars, of scholarships. It's crazy money. You can get multiple scholarships, right? Absolutely. That's how you do it. That is how you do it. Now, the first thing that the parent and student need to look at is the college or university that the student wants to attend or apply to. Because what makes the big difference is whether or not that university allows what I call scholarship stacking. Do they allow you to have a bunch of scholarships coming from God knows where? And can you get the overage if there's more, if there's extra money? That's really important. Can you get the overage back? Because well, here's what that means. Let's say you, your student has uh, enough to cover tuition and they're staying at home. So they don't need room and board. They've got enough to cover tuition, but they got a scholarship that brings that and brings out, brings it up to be maybe an extra $2,000 over the tuition cost. So does that money go back to the company that gave the scholarship? Or does it go to the student's bank account? Oh, wow. Okay. There's an option? <laughs> there is an option. Oh, wow. I have a photograph. I took a screenshot of one semester that my son got $9,000 back in his bank <gasps> account. No way. From an overage. Yep. This is incredible, Denise. Like, how come people don't know about this? There's a lot of reasons people don't know about this. Um, I, 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 it just, there is, there's a lot of reason. It's, it's lack of knowledge on the part of high school counselors. Part of it, I'm sure also is where we're focused as a society. I don't know about Canada, but I suspect it's pretty similar as it is here in the U S where a lot of the political rhetoric is like, we need to get free college for everybody. Right. So what they focus on, what the media will have you believe is that no one graduates debt-free. Everyone has hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt and poor, poor, pitiful me. The truth is the student and or parent 
signed for that debt. They made a conscious decision as an adult, most of the time, to sign for that debt. Mm -hmm. What they didn't do is they didn't do the numbers. They didn't yeah. do the math as to what is it that this really means for you. For example, I counseled a student a little over a year ago. Her mom said she had a couple of schools in mind. One of the schools had already committed to her for a particular scholarship and the parents could afford the balance. Awesome. But the teenager had this quote dream school in mind. And by the way, my belief about quote dream school is it's a marketing ploy mm. by high paying high, high uh, cost yeah. colleges yeah. and universities. I really believe that that idea came from, you know, marketing of these high cost universities. So she wanted to attend this dream school. So we sat down and did the math. I showed her what happens if she has no debt. Without college debt, let, well, let me back up just a quick moment. The average debt is in the $30,000, $35,000 range, not mm -hmm. per year, but walking out of university yeah. with a degree, that's about the average overall. So if you take that average over 10 years, put it in a, you know, a loan calculator, they usually pay about 400 bucks a month. Well, to you and I, that's, that's a very small car note, not a big deal. Now, to a teenager though, that could be a substantial amount of their income. They don't understand the money yet. They have never had to pay for anything before, mm -hmm. not utilities, not rent, anything. So what I did for this student, as I said, if you don't have debt, you can take that $400 and put it every month, instead of giving it to a bank or, or what have you, a college, you can take that $400 every month and start investing it in your retirement. Although, yes, it, you, it feels like you're starting too early, but hear me out. If they begin at age 32, when that debt is finally paid off in 10 years, right? Mm -hmm they will hit the $1 million net worth at about age 63. Cool. Okay, that sounds really cool. But if they don't have any debt and they can start putting that 400 bucks in their own retirement and investing at age 22, 10 years earlier, yes, they'll hit the $1 million net worth mark at about age 53, 10 years earlier. Mm -hmm. But the best part is when they continue that $400 investment all the way through to retirement. If you compare the two, the one who has a 10-year debt and the one who doesn't, the one who has the 10-year debt is $2.8 million short oh, of the man. one who had no debt, who by the time they retire at 67 could have over $4 million in their net worth. That's insane. They're giving up their dream life for their dream school. Yeah. No one is doing the mass. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, I mean, as a, I've been a natural health practitioner for 20 years, and it has come to my attention again and again that one thing that's very hard for people to do is to project themselves into the future. We, it's hard to see your own self as, as a middle-aged person, as a retired person, as a grandmother, whatever. We can't do it. It's hard to invest in that idea because it that's doesn't right. feel real that's right that's right and for this student because she wanted to attend this dream school 
I said, okay, so tell me what your degree program is going to be. What, what is your career path? And we looked up what the entry level salary yeah. is. And yeah. this is, this is part of the math yeah. parents need to do with their kids. The entry level salary, her take home pay, once we removed federal taxes, we didn't even bother talking about, you know, state, state county, yeah. whatever, you know, taxes or everything else that comes out of that paycheck, right? Because there's yeah. a heck of a lot more than just your federal taxes, your government taxes. She would be taking home about 25, just under $2,500 a month. Well, to a teenager, to a 16, 17 year old, yeah. I'm rich. Yeah. Okay. They've never seen that kind of money before in their life. I said, okay, now let's take a look at dream school. When we put dream school as debt in the college debt calculator for a 10 year debt that monthly note is just under twenty nine hundred dollars <laughs> no way she comes out of school bankrupt immediately and i think a lot of people are it's a huge problem right they don't have a clue what they're getting themselves into that's a big, big deal. This is a and crime. It's a crime it that, that banks allow it, that schools allow it. It's awful. It is. It's a shame that they even allow it, um, <laughs> especially when it comes to what a child is planning to get their degree program in. Okay, so if, let's say they were going to be a doctor and they were going to end up with 250 grand in debt. Okay, well, they'll probably make 250 grand. Maybe they can handle that. But I actually have seen a dentist who makes 250 his debt from undergrad school all the way through to dental school is $1 million. Oh my God. He will be living like a broke college student for a very, very long time. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's not just that we're allowing it. It's that we're not using our brains. Yeah, that God totally. Gave us. It's like lemmings rushing together over the cliff. Absolutely. It's the craziest thing ever. And I don't blame colleges. I don't blame banks. It's an open market. If you've got, I'm sorry, stupid people yeah. who want to invest in something in a piece of paper, that kind of money, hey, I'm game. If I've got that money to loan you, I'm going to say, you sure you know what you're doing? Sure I do. I'm great. This is where I want to go to school. Fine. Sign on the dotted line. Okay. Because they will get something out of these people. But it's crazy that we are allowing our kids to do this. As parents, we should be counseling them not egging them on to attend, yeah. quote, a name brand school. Yeah, I One of the totally things agree. that that I find in, uh, in the U.S., I don't know if Canada has something like this, but in the U.S., there's something called the U.S. News and World Report College Rankings. Mm -hmm. And this is a newspaper that ranks colleges based on a number of factors. But they're all factors of popularity has nothing to do with yeah. student outcomes or the quality of education, nothing at all. And the colleges have control over a lot of the numbers that are being put into this calculator to rank them. Yeah. For example, almost everyone has heard of Harvard. Well, Harvard buys the list of students who take the SAT and ACT. They send a postcard or a letter to every one of those students just about saying, oh, you're so awesome. Your test scores are great. Guess what? Test scores haven't even come out yet. We think you should apply to our school. Here is a coupon code so that you don't have to pay the application fee. 
just apply to our school. Yeah. Now, I understood, by well, the way, that, that Harvard, uh, sorry to interrupt you, Harvard and maybe some other yeah. Ivy League schools actually admit students, you know, on a, like that there's a needs test, that if you can't afford it, they make it possible, according to your parents' income. It's rather interesting. Every school here in the U.S. legally has to have what's called a net price calculator. Okay. Okay. And it, to find it on the website, it's much easier to simply Google the words net price calculator and the name of the school. Okay. Because trust me, to try to find that on the website is a needle in the haystack. Just okay. not worth your effort. Just Google it. Go straight to that calculator input some fictitious numbers, whether it's your actual income, your kids' actual grades and test scores, whatever the info is that they need. But jot that down so you can compare apples to apples when you're you know, trying to compare schools. When you look at Harvard, for example, a family making six figures, let's say $150,000 a year, mm-hmm. okay? Their kid, if they're admitted, will only pay just under $20,000 a year to attend Harvard, and that includes tuition fees, room, board, and books. Oh, wow. Now, that's Ooh. a great number if you've got 20K, okay? Right. Now, for families that don't have that kind of money, there are need-based aid or need-based scholarships to get into, to be able to afford Harvard. So, yes, those with a lower income have a better chance of, quote, being able to afford it on someone else's money. Right. Okay. So that is something to consider. I never tell parents, don't bother to apply to these schools. What I tell them is, don't put your eggs in that basket. Right. Because although applying is one thing and getting accepted is, woohoo, awesome. Okay. I mean, yeah, let's throw up the flag. My kid was accepted to Harvard. But when you see that financial aid package come in, and the vast majority is actually parent and student loans, mm. either you or your child is going to cry, if not both. There's right. a lot of tears been spent when they get that financial aid letter. Right. Yeah, that's no good. So what do you do? You did this for your kids. You finagled free college. Yeah, and I was actually kind of desperate. I'll, I'll, put, it, I'll put it bluntly. I was actually desperate. Uh, we had gotten to a point where, like a lot of families, we were doing quite well financially. We actually had two houses, uh, but that was kind of an accident. We, were, we had built a beautiful home, which we thought was going to be our retirement home, but then decided to move to the country. So we bought a house in the country while trying to sell the big house, the house, the house on the lake. I do not recommend that. That is really a bad <laughs> financial decision, just saying, okay? That was kind of like, yeah, not a good idea. Well, it was taking forever to sell this house. At the same time, my husband was laid off Mm. twice. Oh, boy. Then the stock market crashed. And this was a crash that did not come back as quickly as it had with the COVID thing here Mm. lately in in today's news. So we were using the stock market money that we had was left to pay the bills, to pay the mortgages, to pay the car note. Well, eventually that money's going to run out. Mm-hmm. And as we saw it dwindling very quickly, we realized there just, there just wasn't anything left. All we had left was enough to pay a bankruptcy attorney and buy a lawnmower and a trailer and mow lawns to put food on the table. Wow. 
this was the kind of bankruptcy where you have to liquidate everything. Hmm. Everything had to go. I had people in my house making offers on the pot I was cooking my dinner in. Oh, jeez. Even our dogs had to go. That was oh, heartbreaking. Oh, man. Okay, because I'm, I'm very much a furry animal person. Oh. So although all of this was, you know, very gut-wrenching financially, you know, I knew God had a plan. We'll figure this out, whatever. It wasn't long afterwards that I realized, uh-oh, my kids are starting high school. After high school comes college, we have no savings. And now with a bankruptcy, we have no credit. We can't co-sign for a student loan. That took it off the table immediately. How were we going to get them into college? How are we going to pay for it? There was no money and now no credit. That's when desperation set in. So I started to do some research and all my friends were saying, oh, Denise, you're starting too early. Don't do any of that until high school junior year. That's what we are told. Mm. Don't even take those exams until high school junior year. That's what we're told. Well, in my research, here in the U.S., 70% of college graduates graduate with student loan debt. 30% graduate debt-free. That's cool. I didn't know it was that, that much, actually. And what's it? Well, why would you? Because the media tells you everybody's got debt. Nobody mm -hmm. graduates debt-free. But kid graduates debt-free isn't making the news. Mm. Okay? What you have then is I took a look and what I found is that no, these kids are not wealthy. Their kid, their, their parents aren't, you know, paying buku money for it. And by the way, at least over here, being destitute does not mean free college. You may get the federal grant, but it doesn't cover all of tuition fees, room, board, and books. It covers a small portion. Maybe it's enough for tuition at a regional state school, but rarely would it even cover the state flagship university for tuition. So that's just a you know, little caveat going in here. So I had to figure out what are these kids doing? Well, what I found is that like me, they had started some of this process early. They didn't wait until high school, junior year to take those exams, the ACT, the SAT, you know, whatever the exams are. They were taking these exams in seventh or eighth grade. I didn't even know you could do that. It's, there is no age limit or minimum to take these exams. It used to be that the ACT, you had to be at least sixth grade to take it. They took that off the table. You can take it anytime. But, you know, I've heard parents say, oh, taking it so early, even, eight, even ninth grade or 10th grade, that's just putting too much pressure on your child. No, that's the whole point, is you tell your kid, you will not know anything on this exam. Nothing. I'm telling you right now. You will walk in and know nothing. The purpose of taking this exam is to get used to the testing environment and get used to the test itself. Not and maybe we'll idea. throw in a cup, we'll throw in a test taking strategy just for grins. Right? Yep. So they walk in in seventh or eighth grade, they take this exam and they come out. You don't care what the exam score is. You literally do not care. Okay. The point is to go in with no stress, just answer yep. questions you do know, anything you don't know, use the strategy for answering it and move on. You probably won't even finish the test. That's okay. 
when they do this enough times, by the time it does count, which I will say is usually junior year will be your best test score, they walk into these exams not stressed at all, whereas everybody else there is totally freaking out because this is a high stakes exam and it's the first time they're taking it. And it's a very and it may be the test. last. Yeah, it may be the last time yeah. to take it because um, another thing that counselors tell kids is don't take the exam more than two or three times. You won't do much better anyway. It won't change your score. And they also tell you, and colleges don't like to see you taking it too many times. It looks bad. Well, all of that is false. Mm. It's a myth. Number one, yes, the ACT does have a limit to the number of times you can take the exam. But that limit is pretty darn high. It's like 12 times. Oh, wow. Okay. I don't believe there is a limit for the SAT. There are only 10% of the universities in the U.S. that require all the exams you ever took to be sent to them. 10%. And those universities do not offer, for the most part, do not offer merit-based or grade and score-based scholarships. So if you're in it for the money, which is, that's the whole reason people come to me. It's like, look, I've got cash. I sure as heck don't want to give it to the university. Or I have a business. I don't want to take it out of my business. Mm -hmm. This is the strategy you have to take. For example, if, let's say your student takes an English exam on Friday and they get a C plus and the teacher says, hey, Johnny, you want to take that exam again on Monday? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, is Johnny going to play games and go out with his friends all weekend? Or is he going to study and crack open that book? Mm -hmm. Well, if he's smart, he'll crack open that book. The same is true for the ACT and the SAT exams. These exams, number one, can be beaten. Yeah. It's not an IQ test. So knowing the strategies is number one. But get this. There are three exam dates every year for both ACT and SAT, where they can, the, per, the, the student slash parent, whoever's doing the registration, can order the exam that the student actually took along with the key and their kids' answers for an extra 20 bucks. Oh, wow. Now they have something to study from. They know exactly what questions they got wrong, and they know the right answer. That's don't know genius. Do I had it, no idea that that was abs possible. Absolutely. Nobody does. I don't know why this isn't like, you know, on a Everybody do somewhere. this. Everybody do this. Exactly. By the time my kids were in junior year, they had their own test bank because the only time I had them take the exams was in those one of those three times per year when we could purchase the test. Oh, cool. So, it, but you can't, if you do that and you, if you wait until junior year to even get started, you have run out of time because today, not when I was in school, college, college admissions, um, paperwork, the college, uh, dash gummit, you know, the, the, the entrance, uh, paperwork was not due until February or so of the senior year today all that paperwork is due early senior year. Yeah. So there's no time to take those exams again and again and again 
Oh, no, I know if it. Uh, here we had to, the applications were uh, end of November or something. And then the, the SAT that my daughter took was in December, if I'm not mistaken. So that was right. it. You had one kick at the can. One shot. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, end of November, all schools have different dates for different reasons. But one of the things that parents also need to be aware of, not just the admissions date for the different type of admission, but if a school gives merit-based scholarships, scholarships based on their grades and test scores, a lot of times there's a different date for that, an earlier date sometimes. Okay. So you have to have all of this written down in a spreadsheet so that you don't miss those deadlines. For example, a student can be uh, you know, maybe the deadline for the application is January or February, but the deadline for scholarship consideration could be November 1st or November 15th. Right. So you have to know that in advance. And it's not that, oh, just send in the application. No, 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 no. The entire, everything that they expect to receive has to be received by that point in time. So any letters of recommendation, your counselor's report, your transcript from the school, all of that has to be in on time. And it is the student slash parents' responsibility to make sure those things are taken care of. So they do have to be, you know, watching the, the university's uh, website for their, you know, student portal to make sure that those things are received in time to meet those deadlines. Um, so tell me what what you do, how you work with parents. I know you have some courses and you, you counsel people individually. You help people to find these scholarships? Well, here's, here's what I teach. We had a specific strategy that I used for both my kids that was absolutely phenomenal. And for many years afterwards, families who knew me would just say, you know, they'd find out that their friend or their relative had a kid that was getting ready to apply to colleges, or they knew they were on that path, and they would say, hey, you need to talk to Denise, because she did this, and her kids got a heck of a lot of money. You need to find out what she did. And what I found is that I was repeating myself over and over again, mm. or sending, or literally copying and pasting the emails that would go out to these people. I love coaching people because I believe in the way it changes lives. I believe in not having that student loan debt and making the right choices. So ideally, if a family comes to me early in high school, freshman or sophomore year, they're going to have opportunities for more scholarships than someone who comes to me after they have been accepted right? and they have received that financial aid yeah. form and now yeah. they know there's a giant gap, okay? Mm -hmm. And the reason they've left money on the table is that scholarships begin as early as kindergarten. Oh. I know, what? It's crazy. For college? I know. For college, it is crazy. There is one scholarship for K through third grade, and the kid literally just doodles on a piece of paper, and it's a $1,000 scholarship. It's crazy. I'm going to leave you here this week. We're at about the halfway mark of my interview with Denise, and she's just getting started. Next week, she'll get into the nitty-gritty of finding scholarships and applying for them. But let me just recap a bit, because... If you haven't figured out yet what this has to do with you as a stepmom, I want to spell it out for you. Your partner's kids may or may not want to go to college, and you can be part of that discussion. You can help them look up starting salaries in the trades and help lift the stigma of choosing a different path. 
you can be encouraging your stepkids right now, whatever their age, to engage in things they love to do, and you can find opportunities to do more of them. You can be the brains behind the great idea that will turn a hobby into a volunteer opportunity, or a leadership opportunity, or an entrepreneurial opportunity that will make their college application sparkle and get them noticed. You can take the time to do a little research about schools, about scholarships, about where and when the SAT or ACT tests are happening, and plant the seed to start early and learn how to get great scores, even without being a genius. You can download a free guide from Denise's website, getaheadoftheclass.com, which is a checklist full of secret tips from scholarship judges at prestigious schools who really want to put your kid's application in the yes pile. Go to getaheadoftheclass.com and you'll see her free offer right there. She'll be back next week with more juicy tips. Thanks for listening. The Essential Stepmom Podcast is produced by me, Tracy Poisner, all by myself, with no scholarships from anyone. But I could give you a scholarship. I could sponsor a scholarship for my own Stepmom University, or at least the orientation weekend. Here's what I'll do. You can get a free 30-minute coaching session with me by doing this. Find this podcast on Apple or iTunes, write a review of 25 words or less, post it, take a screenshot and share it on the Essential Stepmom Facebook page, or send it to me as an email if you prefer at info at essentialstepmom.com. Ratings and reviews are so important to podcasters like me. Apart from stoking my big fat ego, it's what brings us together with the stepmoms listening today from El Salvador, Pakistan, the Dominican Republic, and Kenya. The stepmom world is a small place, but we're still just a wee podcast and not so easy to find. Thanks again for being good company. See you next week. This is part two of my interview with Denise Thomas, the guru of getting scholarship dough for your kids or stepkids, as the case may be. I need to say something important before we get going here. Some of you listening to this podcast feel a strong sense of duty to help your stepkids. You're all over helping with homework, keeping track of when the assignments are due, teaching good table manners. If I'm going to be honest, I have to include myself in that group. I've spent many an evening rearranging the paragraphs of an essay for my stepkids, just the way I did for my own daughter. But when I said at the end of last week's episode that helping to find scholarships could be an ideal way for a stepmom to do something really useful, I did not want you to go away thinking that you're supposed to make it into your responsibility, because it's not. It's an opportunity for you to make one particular kind of contribution, but it would be a drag if you found a way to use this idea to just tie yourself to the outcomes in another way. If it's not fun, if it's not being well-received, if it's not being appreciated, you've got to let go, okay? Now, I asked Denise to dish up some of her secrets. 
if we're going to do this, where do we start? 